Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. great to see you this morning. It's great to be gathered together as a church family. What an incredible weekend outside. I, I hope that you were able to experience a little bit of this fall before that other thing happens called winter. Uh, it's crazy to think about how quickly our, our seasons are changing and how we're talking about Thanksgiving and we're talking about Christmas and, and the things before us, but God has given us today, and so today is a re- day that we rejoice in Him. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So we had been in a study for several weeks on the church, and over the next four weeks here, we're going to enter into a study called Thanksgiving. So you can kind of see the pun or the play on the word there. Um, But we are going to be talking about um, how to cultivate a generous life. Um, uh, to be honest, I, I don't often talk about money. I, I sometimes perhaps struggle to talk about money uh, because of some of the negative connotations that can come with that through various televangelists and people who want to get everything for them to build a bigger empire. At least that's what it seems. Uh, but it's important that we talk about money. And it's important that we talk about money and possessions because this strikes to the very core of our discipleship. Um, Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he says um, 15% of Jesus' discussions and teachings with his disciples have to do with money and possessions. And the reason I think Jesus talks so much about it is because it's something that so many of us struggle with. We, we struggle with wanting to have more or, or trying to grasp in order to make sure we have enough. And it really comes down to how we view God and how we view God's gifts to us. And so um, I am going to be jumping into this um, this talk in this series on money, looking at what the Bible has to say about cultivating biblical generosity so that we might be a people who with thanksgiving reflect the goodness of a God who gave graciously to us. Um, It's it's incredible to think that um, money and possessions often give a barometer to where we are at in our walk with the Lord. And and frankly, uh, I've I've been able to meet with enough um, families and enough couples, enough individuals over the course of time to know that money and possessions are something that can really cause conflict um, between husbands and wives or husbands and wives-to-be, or they can cause wrestling within people of like, how do we, how do we walk in faithfulness in this area? I love what theologian Abraham Kuyper said when he said this, and this just kind of gives an overarching view when it comes to money and possessions, though I don't think he's actually talking about money and possessions here directly, where he says this, though. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, mine. Let that sink in. Maybe you've heard that quote before. There is no, not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. The big idea that we're going to be talking about today is that, um, putting it simply, uh, is this. God owns everything, and we are his managers. There is no part of your life or my life that God does not say, mine. 
But really, when we come to that realization, we come to a great point of freedom. Because then we say, all right, God, here I am. Where are we going now? And it becomes a faith journey. And so invi I invite you to join me on this faith journey. Uh, before we read our passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, I, hope, I hope you've made your way there, um, just a couple of disclaimers. The first one is I've had some incredible resources that I've been able to consult um, as I prepared for this week. So I want to give due credit to where credit is due because I won't always cite them um, explicitly in my in my speaking. Um, one of them is Randy Alcorn's The Treasure Principle. It's a small little book, take you less than an hour to read probably. If you haven't read that book and would like a copy of that book, come talk with me. I'd love to hook you up with that book because it's an incredible way to think about generosity and think about what it means that God owns everything and that we are his managers. Um, secondly, I've been blessed to review some incredible teaching material, e even from pastors who came before me in this church. I'm very grateful for people like Mike Ferris who have some incredible teachings on, on generosity and giving. The last thing I want to mention before we read the scripture today is that we want to also help you learn how to live this out in very, very practical ways. And so in January, we're actually going to be starting a class on January 21 um, that's going to be a seven-week study. It's a, it's a study through Crown Ministries, and it's called Managing Finances God's Way. And this is a very practical thing. So you might be a, a husband and wife, you may be a single person, you may be old, you might be young. If you would like to learn more about how to steward and to walk faithfully with God, recognizing that he owns everything, but how do we live this out in very practical ways? We invite you to that class. That class will be capped at 20 people. So um, Doug Pepe and his wife Carrie, Doug is an elder here at our church there, graciously uh, going to be teaching that class in January. So if you're interested in that, please let us know soon. Uh, we will cap that at 20 people. So with all that said, I invite you, if you're not there, to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're able, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit with me for the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to begin in verse 6 and read to the end of the chapter. Remember this, Paul says, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. And they will have deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise because you are a good God. You love to give good things to your children. And God, we thank you that as we've 
are reminded this morning that you own everything and that we have an incredible responsibility but an incredible privilege to steward what you have given us here on this earth for your glory. God, we pray that as we, as we think about finances and as we think about um, how we invest and how we save and how we spend, that we would have your eyes to see your purposes for all the things you have given us. Lord, we're here because of your grace. Uh, we're here because we have come into relationship with you through your son, Jesus, the one who is um, the, greatest, the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Father, thank you that we can receive Christ through faith, not a gift that we can earn, but thank you, God, that we've been made new in Christ today through our trust and our faith in his death and resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name, and together we say, amen. Please be seated. So, as we begin to look at these couple of verses in 2 Corinthians 9, a little bit about the context. Um, 2 Corinthians 9 is written to the church at Corinth. Um, scholars think that there's probably four different letters to the church at Corinth, and that we probably have two of them. So there's some, some writing that Paul does to them, and then some answering back and writing and answering back. And we're getting a little bit of Paul's heart for them. Now, as he says to them, giving them this exhortations to, to sow, um, to whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously, reaps generously. He's talking to a group of people whom God had placed in their heart to give a gift to believers in Jesus in a different area of the world facing a difficult season. The church at Corinth, um, while it was made up of a bunch of different people, Corinth is, is a port city, and it's, and it's a place that, um, that has a lot of commerce coming in and out. So there were some very, very wealthy patrons and uh, people within the church at Corinth. One of them, if you ever get a chance to go to Greece, uh, one of them's name is Erastus, and he's like a city manager of Corinth. And if you go to the ancient city of Corinth, you can see there's actually like a, a street that has his name on it because he provided from his own resources the ability to build a road for a city. We, we see an Erastus in the New Testament. Many scholars think that this is the same Erastus who's a part of the local church coming from Corinth. I say all that to say this is a potentially very wealthy city or at least has some very wealthy people in it and they have within their heart to be a blessing and to give glory to God by how they give of their resources to other believers facing great trial. Um, this love is not out of compulsion and it's not out of guilt. It, it's a love that chapter 8 says occurs because, number one, they had given themselves firstly to God, and second, they had given themselves to the believers by God's will. That's 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. And so Paul is actually reminding them. He's, he, he's reminding them, you had this desire. Don't forget this desire. He's not extorting them. He's not guilting them. He's not shaming them. He's saying, you had placed it within your heart. And not only them, there's churches throughout the whole of Macedonia and Achaia, which is modern day Greece, who had in their hearts to give as God had led them. He says, move forward in this giving. In, in other words, one writer puts it this way. He's encouraging these Corinthian believers to translate their zeal into action with regard to generosity. 
In other words, they've wanted to give, they've wanted to give, and he's saying, it's time to do it. <laughs> like, don't just talk about it. Just walk in faithfulness as God has led you. And so as we think about 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through the end, you could maybe, maybe summarize it this way. What this is talking about is that the path to cheerful, generous giving comes by recognizing, oh, oh sorry, Here, here's the theme. Cheerful, generous giving glorifies God and is an overflow of experiencing his grace. Let me read that again, because I messed up in the beginning. Cheerful, generous giving glorifies God and is an overflow of experiencing his grace. And so the path to cheerful, generous giving comes by recognizing two important truths that are above me. The first one is God owns everything. The second thing is, is that I am, we are his manager. And when we think of manager, think of steward. Th think of one who's been entrusted with much to care for it and to use it for the one who owns everything's purposes. Let's talk about the first thing here with God owns everything. There's several passages in the scriptures that underline this point. One of them is in the book of Deuteronomy. As the Israelites are getting ready to enter into the promised land, um, God tells them through Moses, he says this, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. So they may be going into the land thinking, we are strong, look at all we have. And one of the things God says, hang on a second, I want you to know this. It's not your own power, it's not your own ability that produces what you have. It's through my gift to you. It's through my working on your behalf. Job, in his story, and his story is a hard story because he had a bunch of stuff. He was super wealthy. In fact, the adversary comes along and tells God, hey, have you seen your, you know, your, your servant Job is only happy because you've given him a lot. And he goes through a lot of trials. He goes through a lot of wrestlings with God. One of the things that God says in the back and forth that happens in Job 41, and there's this, there's, there's this back and forth that's just kind of fun to read and just humbling to read in the end part of the book of Job. But one of the things that God wants to bring out for him is this truth. Everything under heaven, God says, belongs to me. Now, he ends up giving Job double even what Job had lost. But all of what he received was a gift from God. Psalm 24 is a great psalm. It says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Gen James chapter 1 verse 17 says, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above. And of course, I read verse 8 here in 2 Corinthians 9, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. So here they are. Um, Corinth is down here in the bottom left part of your screen in the southern part of Greece. This is Asia over here. A lot of, um, when we studied the, um, the letters to the seven churches, all that happens over here. Um, but he's writing to this church over here in Corinth, and he's saying, translate with zeal, the, take the passion you have to give, and now walk in faithfulness before me for the glory of God, for the thanksgiving unto him, and for the benefit of those who are around you. And the first path to cheerful, generous giving uh, begins by understanding that God owns everything. Just 
take a pause and, and think about maybe a song that we sometimes sing. Um, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I start here because if we don't start here, we miss a couple of truths. Number one, we miss that God is a good God who longs to give good things to his people. That, that, that is the heart of God, right? Not only that, if we begin to think that we somehow can control or get for ourselves everything we need, we begin to believe a lie that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. In fact, one of the great things that money trips us into thinking is that we are secure. If I just have enough, there, there's, a, there's a story I once heard is, is a guy had a lot of money and, and he was continuing to get more money and someone asked him, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Because that's the seductiveness that money can be for many of us in this room. And, and the thing is, is that God wants us to have hearts overflowing with thanksgiving where we're responsible with the things that he's given us, where we're faithful, where, where we trust him and we work hard, but that we also have as quickly as it comes in, God, if you want it to go out, here it is, because that's part of our worship. And let me just ask you this, how does the reality of God owns everything change how I view stuff? or change how we view stuff. Many of us grew up practicing tithes. You know, for, for many of us, tithing is giving 10% of what we are, are earning and giving that to the church or giving that through different organizations. Some, some people give more than 10%. It's really easy sometimes uh, to say, God, here is your tithe, here's your 10%, and now there's 90% left over for everything I need and or want. But the idea here is that Cheerful, generous giving comes by recognizing that it's not 10% that belongs to God, it's actually all of it. But that God will call us to utilize the resources he has made available to us for all sorts of good things, like caring for our family and fixing the car and investing in something that is down the road. But, but there's a wisdom that comes with this that is led by the Spirit. And, and let me just ask you, when is the last time you looked at your spending or your investing or the assets that you have and you said, God, here's all of it. Here's all of it. Lord, if there's anything you want me to do differently, show me and I will follow. Honestly, and, and I say this and I speak this knowing that I struggle with this. Um, I am much quicker to think about how I might spend or how I might save money rather than to say, God, what do you want me to do with this? What would bring you glory? God, what, what would make your name famous? How could I partner with you? And the problem is not the stuff. The problem is, is our relationship to the stuff. <laughs> it's how we view it. But worship is offered to God in freedom, which God wants for all of his children and all people. He wants people to experience freedom in him is experienced by knowing and living the truth that God owns everything. He owns everything. So then what's our role? Well, um, the way that Randy Alcorn puts it, he says, we are his managers. We are people who are to steward the heart of God here on this earth to make disciples of all nations and to be a blessing and benevolent to those in our path. And that God will do this and he will lead us and guide us in this way. And to jump into the text here, um, 
It says in verse 6, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Now, before we talk about sparingly and generously and, and giving from the heart, we have to talk about this idea of sowing. Sowing, this is the S-O-W, not S-E-W, so we're not making any sort of shirt or something like that. We're talking about agriculture here, all right? This is a photo of our garden at the beginning of the year. We sowed, we, meaning my wife and kids, I didn't do, I had no part of this. It looks amazing. I had no part of it. I just can't, I, I can't claim that in good conscience. Uh, but, but all these seeds were planted in the ground. And so when we talk about sowing, we're talking about the things in which that we invest our lives, our materials, our, our resources that God has given us. All these things are deposits into the ground, you could say. And what we sow, we will reap. In fact, just hold your finger here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Go to the next book of the Bible, to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. And this is, I'm going to be looking at verse 7 to help us understand this idea of sowing, S-O-W-I-N-G, um, for a moment here. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, God is God. His word is absolute truth. In other words, to walk in a different path than what God would have us to do is, is disobedience. And disobedience, Pastor Mike once said, is an exercise in futility, right? Disobedience, however, is a choice. Like, we can choose to disobey God, but it's a choice that has naturally built repercussions into it. So, he wants us to know, verse 7, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap, and the principle here is simple. Every choice we make produces a consequence, right? That's just kind of a, a general principle here. Every choice we make produces a, a, a consequence. You reap what you sow. And so when you think about the things that we sow, like if we had sowed a bunch of weeds into the ground of our garden, weeds would have grown up. Here we have a, a lot of plants. I can't see. We've got some peppers there. We've got a whole lot of tomatoes. We've got some green beans, if my mind is correct. We, we, we have a lot of things here with the hope that it will, what we plant, will come up. And the principle here is what you sow, you will also reap. And this is true in our spiritual lives as well. If we sow, well, here, let's, let's read it here. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So, so here in Galatians, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, and he's saying, if you sow to the flesh, if you sow to your own, your own idea of what is right, and, and he gives a list of fleshly things in Galatians 5, things like hatred, jealousy, anger, envy, strife, promiscuity, sexual immorality, stinginess. Like, if, if we sow to the flesh, we sow things that are often short-sighted and that are me-focused. Like, that's the way I, I kind of picture um, sowing to the flesh. It's, it's what's in it for me and hopefully what's in it for me right now. It's short-sighted, it's me-focused. But he says here, but the one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. In other words, if you sow anger in, in your relationships, very commonly you will receive anger back. If you sow strife or division, you will often commonly receive that back. If you sow stinginess, right, you, you, you will oftentimes receive that back. But the one who sows to the Spirit, he says, will reap eternal life from the Spirit. 
So if we sow to the Spirit, and, and, and we sow to the Spirit with things like unconditional love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, if we sow with the Spirit the things that God wants us to be about and to focus on, they're often long-sighted. They have the vision of God. They, they, they have the perspective of God in, in sight. And they're also God-focused, right? To sow to the Spirit means, all right, Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? Then by faith, God, I will plant that seed. I, I don't know how many of you have ever been um, out somewhere and someone responded to you or, or spoke to you in a very gruff way. You could respond in the same way back. Or you could say, Lord, help me to be kind right now, like right now. <laughs> because when we sow to the Spirit, we, we may not change their heart, but we will sow the right kind of seed that hopefully God will use in their life to say with whatever's going on in their life, there's no need to be frustrated that person. And they experience grace and they experience mercy that comes through his people. This last year, as I showed you the photo, we, we, we planted tomatoes and the seeds grew great and we transplanted them into our garden after the frost was done and, and our garden beds were all set up and some of our garden beds did really well. Um, but there was one that was particularly behind in production and so we thought we were gonna have all of these tomatoes. Like we planted a lot of tomato plants, like a, a ridiculous amount of tomato plants. We were like, oh, they're gonna be just kind of coming out everywhere. And as the summer went on, they didn't come and they didn't come and they didn't, and you, you saw the plant grow, you did some of the pruning and stuff like that. And we're like, what's going on here? Finally, you know, it became so frustrating because we kept going out there thinking that as we'd put these seeds in the ground, that they're gonna produce all these plethora of tomatoes. We'd finally kind of given up in our hearts, like, okay, this bed's just not gonna do anything. A couple weeks later, we walk out there. I don't know what happened in between. Maybe there was some rain. Maybe there's some lightning. I, I don't know. All of a sudden, these things started yielding. And, and the reason I tell that story is because one of the traps that we get into when we're sowing and we're reaping and all this kind of stuff is, is we have a misjudged perspective on time. He, he says, you know, you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption from, from the flesh because flesh profits nothing, Scripture says elsewhere. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life from the Spirit. But in verse 9, he says, so we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. We live in a microwave world where we want to have it in 60 seconds or less. And it's easy to become discouraged when the immediate results don't look the way that we wish. This is true in a, in a financial sense. This is very true in a spiritual sense. We, we long to see things happen quickly in the lives of people that we love. Well, I just get their act together, whatever. And, and faith is the process of trusting what God has said, yielding our self-interest, yielding our plans, and saying, all right, Lord, would you help me to walk in the Spirit and to plant the right seeds along this journey. It's really easy to get discouraged. And it's really easy in our discouragement then to act in ways that are inconsistent with who we are in Christ. But God's word to us here through Paul in the book of Galatians is don't get tired of doing what is good. And good is always defined by God. For we will reap at the proper time. It doesn't say when. You may see that harvest next week. You may see that harvest next year. But do good. 
Therefore, he says in verse 10, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. And so we have to remember this, that whatever we plant, whatever we sow, we will reap. But as we sow good seed, we don't know exactly how that's going to yield or when it's going to yield, but be patient because it will yield. Because as Jay said, the the word of God does not return empty. We don't know exactly when it will blossom into what we think it should look like, but God does and God is working and God is faithful. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter nine, there's a small other sermon over there uh, in Galatians chapter six. Um, But here's the principle in verse six. The, The person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. And and you could you could say it this way, a crop's yield will be in accordance with how abundantly it is sown. And so we can ask the question, with the material things that God has given us in our life, how do we know how much to sow? Great question. Verse seven, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Here are the qualifications of deciding in your heart. Not reluctantly or out of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. There is a heart thing that is going on here in this passage. More than 10%, like like you could give 10% legalistically, you could give 20% legalistically, you could give 50% of everything you make legalistically and miss the point that Paul is saying here. What matters to God is you decide in your heart, and, and I would add part of what that looks like is saying, all right, God, how would you have me steward the resources you have entrusted to me? It's a conversation with God. And as you ask that conversation, God brings to your heart, here's what this should look like. And and then you do so, not reluctantly, or not out of necessity, but but cheerfully. You you, you give cheerfully. You say, God, this is yours. Here is where I believe you've called me to place it. God, I give it with all the joy that you have welled up inside my heart. And why can we do that? Well, it's because God is a good God who graciously gives good gifts to his people. Verse 8 picks up on this. And God is able to make every grace. In other words, he's able to make every gift that he has given to his people overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel or you may have more than enough in every good work. The good works that God calls us to walk in by his spirit, he will always provide what we need for those. I don't know how he does it, but there's a journey of walking with God to say, God, what does, what does good, good action here look like according to your sight? Then God, I'm gonna need your provision. I'm gonna need your grace. I'm gonna need your money. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna need what you need to give me in order to produce what you would like me to sow in. So the principle here is we decide in our hearts, not out of reluctance or need. We know that God loves a cheerful giver, and it underscores this idea that giving is a spiritual decision, not a pragmatic one. Sometimes when we go to give, we go to our, I was going to say our checkbooks, but some of you probably don't even know what that is. We go to our online bank accounts, and we say, all right, what is left? I will give that. Here the idea is, with everything we have, it's a spiritual decision. And so we're constantly asking God, not with what's left over, but God, what would you have me give, and how do I just be obedient to what you've asked me to do? 
2 Corinthians 8, and I mentioned this earlier, but it tells there that the believers first, they gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves to one another. What was first and foremost on these believers' hearts, and Paul wants them to, to work out with zeal the things God has placed in their hearts. What's first and foremost is, God, here is me and everything I have. I have, right? In quotes there. And, and God, it's all yours. How would you have me honor you with this? And the amazing thing is, is that as God moved along these believers in their Christian walk, they began to see a need here and to meet a need here. And God used them to bring glory to his name through how they gave. In fact, he says that in the next couple of verses here. Verse 10, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food, in other words, God, will pro provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of, right, of your righteousness or your right works, your, your, your faithful works. Why does that matter? Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, notice the reason, for all generosity. Right? God, you could say it this way, God gives so that we can give more to his purposes, not to enrich ourselves. There is a sacrificialness that is described in these words in scripture because these people had given themselves to God and they'd given themselves to one another and what else could they do but meet the needs that God had placed in their midst. And this becomes ministry. This becomes worship or service. And, and it's not just worship or service or ministry, verse 12 says, to supply the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. In fact, it says, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. In other words, when all of this is said and done, when they've been faithful with what God has placed before them, the response here is thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As you receive, you give back to God and you say, God, thanks be to you for your incredible gifts to us. And not only that, the believers around them say, thanks be to God for everything he has given us. In order to drive these two points home, that God um, owns everything and that we are his managers, I want to read for you a book. And it's a book that maybe some of you have read. Uh, I found this down, and I've heard the story before, but I found this down in our church library. It's called The Pineapple Story. And so I have the photos with me, and I invite you, as we close this part of our worship before we go to communion, to hear from the book the pineapple story. So just settle back and listen in. This is a story of a missionary in Dutch New Guinea. Here's how it goes. Make sure my slides are in. My family and I work with these people way back in the bush. One day I decided that I was going to bring in some pineapples, he says. The people had heard of pineapples. They had tasted them, but they didn't have any source to get them. So I got them from another mission station. I got them about 100 plants. Then I got one of the local men to work for me. He planted all these pineapple shoots for me. I paid him, of course. I paid him salt or whatever he wanted for the days he worked. It seemed to take awfully long for those little shoots of pineapple to become big bushes and finally yield pineapples. It took about three years. Back in the jungle, you long for fresh fruit. You don't get much fresh fruit or vegetables. So finally, 
That third year, we could see fresh pineapples coming on. And we were just waiting for Christmas time because that is when they're ripe. When Christmas finally came, my wife and I would go for walks to see if there were any ripe enough to eat. Finally, when they got ripe, we didn't get a single one of them. The natives, Dutch New Guinea, stole every one. They stole them before they were ripe. That is their art. Steal it before it is ripe or the owner gets it. Here I am, a missionary, getting mad at these people. Missionaries aren't supposed to get mad. You all know that, but I got angry. I said, look, you guys, I've been waiting for these pineapples for three years. I didn't get any of them. Now there are others getting ripe. If any more of you, if any more of you, these pineapples are stolen, no more clinic for you. My wife was running a clinic. She was giving them to all to, um, she was giving them all their pills for free. They didn't have anything to pay. We were knocking ourselves out, trying to help these people, taking care of their sick, saving the lives of their babies. One by one, the pineapples got ripe, and one by one, they were stolen. So I felt I had to stand my ground with these people. I couldn't just let them run all over me. But that was not really the reason. It was a selfish reason. I wanted to eat those pineapples. So no more clinic. Then they let their sick babies die. They couldn't care less. Life was cheap over there. People with bad pneumonia would be coughing and begging us for medicine. We would say, no, remember, you stole our pineapples. I didn't steal them, they would say. It was the other guys that did it. They would go on coughing and begging. We couldn't take it any longer. I broke down and said, okay, tomorrow morning we will open the clinic again. When we opened the clinic, they started stealing the pineapples, and I felt bad again. Man, these rascals. But finally, we found out who was doing it, the guy who had planted them. I called him on the carpet and said, look, buddy, what are you doing stealing my pineapples? You are my gardener. He said, my hands plant them, my mouth eats them. That is the rule of the jungle. If they plant something, that is theirs. They had never heard of the idea of paying for services. So he said, they are all mine. I said, oh no, they are mine. I paid you to plant them. But he just couldn't understand how that made them my plants. I thought, well, what do I do now? It was the rule of their tribe. I'd better learn to live by their rule. So I said, all right, I will give you half of these plants. Everything from here to over there is yours. If they get ripe, they're yours, and these are mine. He sounded like he was in agreement, but my pineapples still got stolen. Then I thought, I was like, then I thought, maybe I should let them have all those pineapples and I'll get some new ones. But I knew that I would have to wait three more years. That was hard for me to do. Finally, I said, look, I will give you all these pineapples and then I will start all over again. Now you make a garden and you take all these pineapples out of my garden so that I will have room to plant new ones. I don't want your pineapples in my garden if you feel they're theirs or that they're yours. So they said, Tuwan, which means outsider or foreigner, you will have to pay us. I said, now look. They said, no, no, you are asking us to move your pineapple bushes and that is work. Now they are mine. I said, all right, I will pay you one day's work. Take them all away. Then they, they then said, we don't have a garden ready. Will you pay us to get it ready? <laughs> I said, forget it. I was so fed up with them. Get the page turned here. I told my wife, this 
is impossible. I'm just going to pay some guy to root them all out and throw them on the trash heap. Then if they want them, they can just take them. So we did. We rooted them all out and threw them on a heap. That was hard to do. They were nice pineapple bushes. Then I bought new plants. I said, now look, all you guys, I'm going to pay you to plant them. But I eat them, me and my family. You don't eat any. They said, you can't do that. If we plant them, we eat them. I said, look, you, I don't have time to mess with the garden. I have too much to do. There are so many of you, and there is only one of me. You have got to help me. I want you to plant them, and I will eat them. I said, I will pay you. What do you want? I will give you this nice knife if you will agree to do it. They started to think, he will pay us that knife so he can eat our pineapples. <laughs> Finally, they agreed. During the next three years, I reminded the guy who planted them, look, who is going to eat these pineapples? He said, you are. I said, fine. Have you still got my knife? He said, yes. I said, we'll take good care of it. If he lost the knife, I'm in trouble again. The pay is gone. Finally, after three more years, the pineapples began to ripen. My wife and I walked through the garden again. I said, man, pretty soon we're going to have a crop of our own pineapples. We started to thank God that he was providing them for us. But do you know what happened? Every one of them was stolen. I could see the natives, or I would see the natives go through the garden in the daytime to spot where the pineapples were, and then at night they would be able to go right to them. I thought, what am I going to do? We can't count out, cut out the clinic. Let's cut out the trade store. That's, when they get their, that's where they get their matches, their salt, their fish hooks, and things like that. They used to do without them. That won't kill them. I said, okay, no more store. You guys stole my pineapples. When we closed the store, they began to say, we had better leave because we don't have any salt. If he's not going to have a store, there's no advantage for us being here with him. We might as well go back to our jungle houses. So they took off to live in the jungle. There I was, sitting, beside my, sitting by myself, eating pineapples. No people, no ministry. I said to my wife, look, we can eat pineapples back in the States. I mean, if that's all we're here to do. A runner returned, and I said, get them all back. We will open the store next Monday. I thought and thought, how am I going to eat those pineapples? There must be a way. Then I got an idea a German shepherd. I got the biggest German shepherd I could get on the island. I brought him in there and I let him loose. They were afraid of him. They had never seen a dog that big. They had little mangy dogs. They had never fed them. They were all diseased. And there was this one well-fed German shepherd dog. They looked at the food he got. I would always have to feed him when the people weren't around because they would resent the dog's food. It was better than anything they got. But that dog did the trick. Most of the people didn't dare come around anymore. So now we had the same result as closing the store. People didn't come. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I couldn't get anybody to teach me the language. I thought, what are we going to do? The dog wasn't working, but in the meantime, the dog was starting to breed with the village dogs and would raise up wicked half-German wild and hungry dogs. The doctor said, look, if your kids or anyone gets bitten by that dog, I'm not going to treat them. He was using the same tactics on me that I was using on the natives. I said to my wife, we've got to get rid of the dog. Well, I got rid of the dog. I hated to do it. Now the dog was gone. The people came back and no more pineapples. I thought, boy, there must be a way. 
what can I do? Then I came home on furlough and went to a basic youth seminar. I learned that we must give everything we own to God. The Bible says, if you give, you will have. If you keep for yourself, you will lose. Give your things to God, and God will see that you have enough. That is a basic principle. I thought, man, I don't have anything to lose. I will give that pineapple garden to God because I'm not eating the pineapples anyway. Now I know that is not a very good sacrifice. You are supposed to sacrifice something that is valuable to you. But I would give it to God and see if he could control it. I said, man, how am I going to see, or man, I'm going to see how he is going to do it. So I stood out in the garden one night. The people had gone home. I didn't want them to see me out there praying. I prayed, Lord, see these pineapple bushes? I have fought to have fruit from them. I have claimed them. I have stood up for my rights. It's all wrong, and I realize it now. I've seen that it is wrong, and I give them to you. From now on, if you want me to eat any of your pineapples, fine. You just go right ahead and give them to us. If not, fine. It doesn't really matter. So I gave them to God, and the natives stole the pineapples as usual. I thought to myself, see God, you can't control them either. (laughs) Then one day they came to me and said, Tuan, you have become a Christian, haven't you? (laughs) I was ready to react and say, look here, I've been a Christian for 20 years. But instead I said, why do you say that? They said, because you don't get angry anymore when we steal your pineapples. This was a real revelation Now I was living what I had been preaching to them. I'd been telling them to love one another, be kind to one another, and I'd been always standing up for my rights, and they knew it. Finally, one bright lad started thinking and said, now why don't you get angry anymore? I said, I've given that garden away. It isn't my garden anymore. So you're not stealing my pineapples. I don't have to get angry anymore. Another guy started to think even more, and he said, who did you give that garden to? They looked around. Did he give it to you? Did he give it to you? Whose is it anyway? Whose pineapples are we stealing? (laughs) Then I said, I've given the garden to God. They said, to God? Hasn't he got any pineapples where he is? (laughs) I said, I don't know whether he has or not, but I have given it to God. They went to the village and said, Do you know whose pineapples we are stealing? Tuan has given them to God. (laughs) They all started thinking about that one. They came back in the group and said, Tuan, you should not have done it. Why don't you get them back from God? No wonder we aren't getting the pigs when we go out hunting. No wonder our babies are getting sick. No wonder our wives aren't giving birth. No wonder the fish aren't biting. Then they said, we shouldn't steal them anymore if they are God's. Should we? They were afraid of God. So then the pineapples began to ripen. The natives came and said, Tuan, your pineapples are ripe. I said, they're not mine. They belong to God. They said, but they are going to get rotten if you you don't pick them. You'd better pick them. And so I got some, and I let the natives take some. When my family sat down to eat them, I said, Lord, you are, we are eating your pineapples. Thank you for giving them to us. All those years, those natives were watching me and listening to my words. They saw that the two didn't match, but when I began to change, they did too. Soon many natives decided to become Christians. 
The principle of giving to God was really working. I could hardly believe it myself. One day, my son was near death, and there was no way to get him to a doctor. I suddenly realized that I'd never given my son to God, so I prayed, God, I give you my son. Whatever you want to do is fine. That was harder than giving God the pineapple garden. I was prepared for God to take my son, but that night his fever broke, and my son got well. The natives began bringing me things to fix. I said, God, my time is yours. If you want me to fix harmonicas and pots and shovels out here on the mission field, fine. I wasn't getting as much Bible translation done, but more and more people were being one to Christ. They kept saying, Tuan has become a Christian. <laughs> he tells us to love one another, and now he's starting to love us. One day, I was fixing a broken chair. A native saw me and said, here, let me help you hold it. After we fixed it, I said, well, aren't you gonna ask me for any salt? He said, no, Tuan, don't you remember? You helped me fix a shovel, now I help you fix a chair. I thought, man, this is the first time they did anything for me without getting paid for it. He says, then one day, I saw in the Bible something I never noticed before. And when you shall come into the land and have planted all manner of trees for food, three years shall it be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten of, but in the fourth year all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. And in the fifth year you shall eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. Finally, I understood. God never intended me to eat those pineapples the first year they were ripe. He wanted me to dedicate them to him. Then he wanted me to give them to the natives so that they could see my good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. If only I had done this, the natives would have urged me to eat the pineapples the fifth year. <laughs> Man, all the trouble I could have avoided. What is your pineapple garden today? What do you need to give to God? Say, God, I've been holding on to this, but this is yours. Do with it what you will. Lead and guide me in how you would have me walk in faithfulness for your glory, for the thanksgiving of God, our Heavenly Father, who is a gracious and good giver. Pray with me, please. Father, I, I, I'm, I'm personally challenged because as you well know, giving is not my, generosity is not my first instinct. But Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us where we are attempting to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. God, that we might store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That our treasure might be where our heart is. And God, that you would capture our hearts, that we would know that you are the greatest treasure the world could ever, ever provide. In fact, the world doesn't provide it, God. You provide the treasure of your son. So we come to you in faith and in trust and ask you, God, to lead and to guide us by your spirit in these things, that Christ might be all and all in our bodies. Father, where it's hard for us to give, help us to give in faith, knowing, knowing that you are good and that your faithfulness endures forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. 
We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.